Hello, and welcome back to Caverncast, coming to you live from the filing cabinets of my mind. Except we are not live, and the filing cabinets of my mind are an absolute mess, so please don't look at them. But would I have it any other way? Yes, yes I would. Oh god, I crave for mental organization. Oh... I mean, no, no, this is way more fun. This is so much more fun. (laughs) Anyway, hi, hello, I hope you're doing well. Um, It's nice to hang out once again. It's February. It's, uh, It's warm over here for February. I am in the Midlands of England. Mid England. Uh, Mingland, and you, <laughs> it's, it's not that cold, it's really not that cold at the moment. I am, um, I'm training for the London Marathon currently, uh, which is in April, I think, so, um, I'm currently spending a lot of time outside running, and, uh, judging by how much I'm sweating when I'm doing this running, either it's not that cold, or I am very unfit. And uh, because I'm thinking positively at the moment, or trying to, I, uh, I'm i going to go with it's not that cold. Um, I'll let you guys know a donation link soon if you, if you want to um, help me raise some money for charity at all. I'm running it for Alzheimer's Research UK, so that'll be real good, I think, that'll be real good. Um, though when they told me, when they, when they called me and told me that they... They would like me to run for them. Um, at the time, I was visiting my friend in hospital, uh, so I was crouched down, and uh, I was crouched down outside the hospital for the duration of the call. So it was like it was like a ten minute conversation, and uh, they said um, they said we really want you to run. We really want you to run for us, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, great. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to running the marathon for you guys. Thank you so much for this opportunity. That's really great. Thank you for having me on board. I will speak to you soon. And then I hung up and then tried to stand up, and my legs just buckled because I'd been <laughs> because I'd been crouched for so long. Um, so that wasn't the best start i folded like a soft baguette but i've been working on my leg strength since then so uh i think we'll be okay i think we'll be okay um what else has been going on uh also that audiobook i did came out uh if you would like to go and listen to it it is called saggy town uh by the wonderful caleb staker it's a great story it's a great story about having the strength having the strength and finding the strength to fight so many of the mental battles that so many of us face while growing up and and going into adult life just the problems of life in general it's got some amazing messages in it many of them the the same as the ones i tried to spread in this podcast so it was an honor to be able to read it and hopefully reach a lot of people which I think it is. I think that it is doing that. I think it hit number one in um, in Y in YA Audible releases last week. So that was grand. That was really cool. Um, thank you to those who have bought it and listened to it. 
I will very likely be doing more in the future of um, of many different genres. Uh, but I have to move to a place where I don't have to record after 10 p.m. because of the shop below me having an entry alarm that makes a big song and dance every time someone enters the shop. So I'm up here recording and it's like, once upon a time. Hello, someone's here. There was a princess. Welcome to our store. She lived in a big castle. Spend lots of money at our store. Come on in. <laughs> So, uh, not conducive to a, a, to a good work environment. So we'll see what happens there. But this is not an audiobook. This is a podcast. And these I actually quite like recording at night because it's cosy. It's cosy, quiet, and the evening brings about a calm atmosphere. My favorite time to record a podcast is actually at night when it's been snowing that's like unbelievably quiet. Ugh. For my mind as well as literally the world. And if I'm chill, that'll help you guys be chill too. Yeah, it works. The last few months have not been very chill at all, but now we're getting better. We're getting better and it, it's nice. It's nice. And um, it means I have the capacity to do what I really want to be doing, which is making content that helps you guys instead of having to spend all of my energy taking care of myself. It's a lot of work. It's, it's, it's boring having a dodgy childhood because you get to this point in life and it's, it's not boring having a dodgy childhood. You know, it's, it's quite a spicy time, but now it's, now it's boring because uh, your brain just takes up so much energy just trying to live and I know it's trying to do the right thing. I know it's it's really trying to do what it thinks is right by keeping me safe. But ugh, just the energy to remind it that it's that it doesn't need to be on overdrive all the time. Oh, anyway, if you're feeling that too, I'm with you. I feel you. Um, so yeah, going well, getting better now. Um, so if you're new here, one of the ways I do that, one of the ways I I help, <laughs> I try to help, try to spread help and calmness is to use a random word generator to generate five random words and then talk about them with whatever comes to mind. Sometimes that's very light. Sometimes we get a bit deep. Sometimes it's an anecdotal tale of... Well, usually embarrassment on my part, but uh, sometimes not. And sometimes we learn stuff together. Yeah, educational. Um, whether it's true or not is a different story, but it's fun and it's entertaining. Content on Cavancast should not be used as an educational tool. <laughs> Not a guarantee. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah, I, we, we just I do all that. I talk about all that, and um, yeah, I just while you chill, chill out, turn off the world, world, turn off the world for a little bit, you know, and uh, just hang out with no pressure on anything at all. I can be in the foreground. I can be in the background. I don't really mind. It's on you. It's up to you. You do what you want to do. Have me where you want to have me. That sounded um, 
that sounded like I'm going to move on very quickly. <laughs> uh, so with that, I'm going to start. I'm going to get on with today's words. Uh, I'm actually very excited about the first one because it is cat. Oh my God, I've been waiting for this word to come up. Ugh, right next to dog. It's been right below dog. I can't believe that dog hasn't come up yet, which is really annoying. That will be a very good day. The goodest day. Yeah. <laughs> what a good day. What a good day it'll be. Who's a good day? Anyway, uh, getting carried away now. The word we have is cat. That's what we're focusing on now. So I should really act way more aloof about it. That's that's way more in keeping, isn't it? Um, I should, well, maybe I, I should act like I don't want to talk about it. And then all of a sudden act like I do want to talk about it. And then go straight back to not wanting to talk about it again. That feels right. That feels, <laughs> I don't know why, but that just feels like the right thing to do. You know? Personally, I've never had a cat. I've always been a dog person over a cat person. But I do love cats, and it seems that more people I hang around with at the moment have cats more than dogs. Uh, so I'm frequenting cats more than dogs. Um, but my heart will definitely always belong to dogs. This is sounding like I'm protesting too much, isn't it? <laughs> Did I swear I love dogs more? I swear, man. Uh, no, I do. I definitely do. Um, but I also understand very well the, the validation that comes with a cat deciding it wants your attention. My friends have had two cats for years. Um, and it's only in recent times that they've become more social. I don't know if they have become more social, but they've become more social to me. And the fact that they now come to me for attention and even curl up next to me sometimes and just sort of want love and affection in general is amazing. It's it's the most validated. It's, it's always a good day. It always makes me feel worthy as a person. It builds up my self-esteem. I'm having a good day. It's <sighs> start your day with like a healthy breakfast, light exercise and some validation from a cat and you'll be fine. <laughs> Who needs therapy? Just get a cat. I still haven't been to one of those cat cafes, actually. I need to do that. Thinking about it now, I reckon... I have a theory, right? I reckon... Genetically, all cats have what's called disorganized attachment. I don't know how much I've spoken about attachment theory in this podcast, but it's been a life changer for me to learn about it. And being back in therapy now, it's it's sort of become a big focus at the moment as well. So I'm gonna uh, let me let me, let me briefly explain attachment theory. So attachment theory is basically how we comfortably give and receive love and affection based on how our needs were or weren't met as children. There's four types of attachment: uh, secure anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. Disorganized is sometimes called fearful avoidant. Um, I will happily talk about 
this more in another episode and I strongly encourage you to go look into it yourself because it may answer some questions for you if you struggle to figure out why a lot of your relationships look the way they do. But a very quick overview is that someone who is securely attached got all of or most of their needs met as a child by their parents or whatever caretaking figure they had. Um, the closest adults in their life. Um, if they were scared, if this kid was scared, then they were soothed. If they needed affection, it was given to them. The environment they grew up in was stable, warm, caring. Um, and it, this environment provided the child with a solid and healthy idea of what relationships should look like. They felt safe. Because as kids, the world is very scary. So we look to adults to learn how to be safe. Now, obviously nobody's perfect, but the majority of the time, a child that grows up securely attached had their needs for safety met. But when a child's needs aren't met and there is a lot of instability or neglect or abuse or fear, the child can end up with a very insecure idea of attachment. For example, an avoidantly attached child will be, and again, strong, strong overview, a child who didn't get a lot of attention growing up, being neglected by their, their caretaker or their caregiver. They grew up learning that, that trusting or looking to others, like to adults, isn't safe. It doesn't work. So they pull away from these situations in later life only relying on themselves because that's all they had to rely on when they were growing up. That's their idea of safety. Anxious attachment can go in the other direction. Often if the caretaker was present and then absent and then went back and forth with being present and absent, creating a sense of instability in the child, that child could then grow up with a fear of abandonment and they could become very clingy and needy as they you know this kid wasn't sure when they'd be left alone again they had no idea everything was so unpredictable so they tried everything they could to make their caregiver stick around and disorganized attachment has elements of both avoidant and anxious attachment and it often develops when um, a child's caregiver is both a source of love and a source of fear the idea as a child that they're supposed to love something that scares them can lead to an extreme level of push and pull in adult relationships. They crave love and intimacy, but often have a tendency to push it away and push everyone away as soon as anyone gets too close. Some of you might find that familiar, some of you may not, but it's worth going to look into. I think cats have disorganized attachment. I wouldn't be confident enough to write a paper on this, but it's a vibe I'm getting for sure, and let me explain why. Let us go back millennia to the ancient Egyptian times when, stay with me, when humans used to worship cats, right? The ancient Egyptians believed that gods could take the form of animals, and most often they would take the form of cats or at least they believed that these cats would act as vessels for the gods, and so they would treat them as divine creatures. was a big fan of the mummy movies when I was a kid and then got into ancient Egypt through that, so thank you childhood knowledge. So, now, 
Can you imagine generations of cats who have been treated like gods and got used to this behavior, nice little life going on there, and then had it taken away by humans who used to treat them just the complete opposite, you know, dismissing them as disgusting mangy animals and just horrible vermin almost. Like, you would have no idea where you stood as a cat. You would be loved by these big, tall creatures and then hated by them. And that would be, that would be evolutionarily your idea of how attachment works. <laughs> There's love and then it's taken away. So then, over time, the cats do the same thing. And then they want the love and they crave it, and so they go to get it, but then all of a sudden it's too much and they remove themselves from the situation. Come on, come on, that's, that sounds plausible, right? And this behavior became so prevalent that now we make memes about it. I think my theory has legs, but maybe it's true though, maybe cats are gods. Considering how much attention we now give them on the internet, I reckon it could be possible. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind. Maybe dogs would be better, but either way. But you didn't think that's what I'd be talking about when the word cat came up, did you? Well, guess what? Neither did I. <laughs> but that's the wonder of this podcast. Meow. But even, even with this knowledge, having a cat purr around me will still give me more validation than I ever got from any achievement as a child. Because allowing something to feel safe and secure is more important than an A will ever be. We're all about breaking generational wounds here. We just gotta try our best. So moving on. Camp is the next word of today. So another C. There were two S's in the, I think there were three S's in the last podcast. And today we've got two C's. Camp. So I have an itchy head. Camp. Interestingly, my mind has never put these two together, but I'm wondering how the sort of everyday definition of camp, like to go camping or um, you know, to camp in a field or at a festival or, or wherever became camp in the definition of meaning like over, uh, over overly overtly eccentric or sort of theatrical the kind of larger than life camp um like those two seem worlds away from each other and even my mind can't figure out the correlation between the two so wikipedia it is or at least google at least google Hmm. Okay, it turns out, thank you for waiting, um, it turns out it's actually quite you didn't wait at all, I, that's the power of editing, baby. Uh, it's actually quite difficult to find out where the origin came from. There's an idea that it came from the French word compère, compère, which means to hold oneself in a pose. And that would seem possible if it wasn't for the fact that this Wikipedia article seems to be the only place in which compare would mean that. Everywhere else just seems to think it just means to camp in a tent 
like a you know like the normal definition oh no wait hang on the online etymology dictionary we have a source um says of uncertain origin perhaps from the mid 17th century french compare to portray or pose to put oneself in a bold provocative pose popularized in 1964 by susan sontag's essay notes on camp okay all right let's see what this essay has to say susan okay so i just went and read a lot of this essay and there were some really interesting things in the in there that uh that our susan said one of which is that, that there's just some really cool takes on it basically um and one of the notes says camp sees everything in quotation marks it's and i really like this it's not a lamp but a lamp she's not a woman but a woman to perceive camp in objects and persons is to understand being as playing a role. It is the farthest extension in sensibility of the metaphor of life as theatre. Not necessarily taking away the authenticity of those things just because it's playing a role. It doesn't mean it's fake or fraudulent, but it means like it just gives it that oomph. I don't know, I really like it. Another note goes on to say that the hallmark of camp is the spirit of extravagance. Camp is a woman walking around in a dress made of three million feathers. And I find it kind of interesting that this definition of camp always leans toward the kind of over-the-top nature of things. A very heightened version of personality or demeanor whereas the other definition of camp gives the impression of something very oppositional to this to to camp or to go camping usually invokes an image of being in nature in a field or a forest or on a mountain or somewhere like that that kind of image of, of camping in nature getting away from everything where things aren't over the top at all. Quite the opposite. They're very simple. Under the top, if you will. <laughs> I'm not saying there's a big thing there. It's just kind of an interesting observation um, of, of another one of those words that can begin to mean the opposite of itself over time. You know, just like how like bad or sick or wicked can all be used to mean good you know but that's interesting that you can say like that's sick or that that's wicked um and have it mean really good but it doesn't really work the other way unless it's sarcasm you can't say dude that's so good when it means bad like bro that's fantastic dude you're so benevolent when like they're an asshole like it, it doesn't really work the other way around that's interesting um okay but at the, at the same time the whole idea of camp and campness is to well to to quote the wonderful susan sontag here to dethrone the serious which is a great line camp is playful it's anti-serious 
more precisely, camp involves a new, more complex reaction to the serious. One can be serious about the frivolous and frivolous about the serious. Which I think ties in very closely with the idea of going camping in nature. When you get away from everything and go and sleep in a tent for a few days with nothing but the sounds of the outdoors and wildlife to keep you company, it can give you space and perspective and can make a lot of the things that seemed very serious before appear to be much less so. So in that sense, they can hold a very similar meaning. Just taking away some of the seriousness that we seem to put on life so much and just having a bit of fun with it. So basically, be more camp in every way. Go above and beyond if you want to. Go camping in the woods in a dress made of a million feathers. Or three million feathers, however much it was. You might get a few weird looks from birds, but don't take it seriously. It'll be fine. I want to go camping again now. I haven't been camping much in my life, um, really. That wasn't at festivals, which are inherently unpeaceful. Is unpeaceful a word? Unpeaceful is a word, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it is. I don't know if I dreamt this, but I, I went to Reading Festival last year. Um, that's not what I dreamt. I, I definitely... <laughs> I definitely did go to Reading Festival, but on the last night when I was asleep, I remember someone hitting my tent in the middle of the night saying, is anyone in there? And I freaked out because it woke me up and I may not have been the most sober at the time. Uh, I just remember screaming the word yes in response out loud. But the thing that made me think it was a dream was that the reaction to me screaming from whoever was outside the tent had my voice, like I'd hit my own tent. And I can't remember what they said, but I know they responded with something that I would say in my voice. So <laughs> I think I was just playing a prank on myself in my dream. What a dick. <laughs> I'm an asshole. No, I, I want to. I want to go camping in in a place that's just me. I think. Well, maybe not. Maybe not anymore. If I'm gonna just prank myself. Um, no, just a place where I'm. I'm not in my own head, but actually in the world, but on my own. You know what I mean? Not for ages. Just, just enough to calm my body down, give my nervous system a break. Maybe make friends with a deer, eat some berries. Maybe Google what berries I can and can't eat first. Otherwise, that might get very serious very quick. That will be most uncamp. Um, yeah, a lot of you know I used to live in a van, and um, doing that gave me a lot of peace. So, uh, yeah, I need to get some of that back, I think. Yeah, man. Okay, um, let's move on. Move on to assorted assorted immediately i just think of assorted sweets like pick and mix pick and mix it was a regular thing when i was younger to go to whatever was the closest shop to the cinema um we would grab a load of pick and mix and then hide it to go into the cinema uh 
And you know what? Everybody won with that. We didn't have to pay through the nose for snacks from the actual cinema. And the people around us didn't have to hear us crunching on popcorn. Or crisps. Or friggin' Maltesers. I don't know. Something crunchy. Nachos. Um... Well, okay, not everybody wins, I guess. The big corporate cinema chain didn't win. But for some reason, I feel like they may have been okay with that. I think they would have survived. What if they didn't? What if I was personally responsible for the downfall of cinema? The butterfly effect. The cavern effect. The butterfly cavern. The Butterfly Cavern. That sounds like a cool place, actually. That sounds like somewhere I'd want to go. It also kind of sounds like a book, doesn't it? Oh, have you read that new book, The Butterfly Cavern? It would be one of those books that sounds really nice in the title, and then is actually really dark. People follow these butterflies into, into this cavern, and then they just end up dead, and nobody knows why. What is the mystery? Is it the butterflies? Did they do it? Killer butterflies. Etc, etc. I should write that book. I was, um, I was in a coffee shop today and there was a book club going on and they were really getting into it. So that's probably why my mind was going there. Um, one of them... <laughs> <laughs> One of them kept saying, um, oh, do follow me on Goodreads. You must follow me on Goodreads. I'm like, yeah, girl, you hustle. Do your thing. Get your followers up. Hell yeah. <laughs> she was like in her 60s, like hustling for followers. I loved it. I loved it. You must follow me on Goodreads. I realize my impression of that sounds more like... Um, the dad in Saltburn, Richard E. Grant. Oh, yes, you must follow me on Goodreads. <laughs> oh, it's supposed to be hotter than Barcelona. Uh, uh, I want to do a Goodreads for pick and mix. That's what I want to do. Good, good sweets. Good treat, good treats. Good treats. That sounds better. Um just reviewing different sweets cola bottles three out of five bonbons four out of five would be five out of five if not for the painful jaw after a while but um chewy cherries five out of five glowing review consistently good throughout yeah man the thing is i think the reviews might be a little few and far between because by no means am I old but I am definitely not at the age where I can eat an entire bag of pick and mix and not feel sick after or maybe I'm just not trying hard enough maybe this is my sign to to go and session a bag of pick and mix a big bag of pick and mix that's my sign is it that <laughs> great ah oh, yeah, I just saw a sign that told me to do it. Oh, really? What was the what was the sign? I just started talking about it. Oh, right. Cool, man. 
Yeah, I know, it was the craziest thing. Bertie Bott's Every Flavor Beans, man. That was a good assortment of random flavors. I used to eat them right around the time that we watched a lot of Jackass, so we would always buy loads and see who could eat the most, dis like, the most disgusting ones in one go. I would often win, but at a cost. My competitiveness led me down some dark paths in my life, it really did. Anyway, um, yeah, it was, eating these every flavor beans was, was way more interesting than you think. Because you would think that you would have the Dumbledore reaction to them and just be like, hmm, alas, earwax. But no, it was, it was more like, uh, I'm not going to make the noise, actually. This is a relaxing podcast. <laughs> but it was bad. It was pretty bad. I miss the gleeful wonder of sweet shops, man. That makes it sound like I grew up in World War II, doesn't it? <laughs> there was much darkness and despair, but at least we had the sweet shops. Now there used to be a uh, there used to be a sweet shop in the town I grew up in that was made to look like the old school sweet shops of of yesteryear. It was called Mr. Sims Sweet Shop. It might have been Sweet Emporium, or I might be thinking of Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. I don't know. Childhood memories get conflated. Um. Anyway, I thought this was the only one. And as a kid, I thought and was told that the man that ran this shop was Mr. Sim. He was my Willy Wonka, providing little pieces of happiness and wonder for children and adults all around. Imagine my horror and the feeling of betrayal. When I was in another town... Later on in life, miles away, and saw another Mr. Sim's sweet shop. And another Mr. Sim worked there. This revelation was more soul-crushing to me than finding out a certain festive figure wasn't real. I didn't want to buy sweets made by a liar. Maybe this is where my trust issues have actually stemmed from. This was my actual childhood trauma. I think I've just answered some questions about myself. I need to book an appointment with my therapist. Okay, we're going to move on before I have a breakdown. Pear. Oh, that's nicer, isn't it? Pear. Ah. Pear like the fruit. Not a... Not a couplet. Not a... Not a twosome. Not a... More more than one thing, but less than three. <laughs> pear. Fruit. Pears, pear, pear, pears, pears are an interesting fruit. They're not a very loud fruit, if you think about it. You don't hear about them much. Apples are everywhere. Oranges, all the rage, honestly. Pineapple. People are always talking about it with bloody pizza. Uh, does it belong on them? Does it not? You know, who, who's, to, who's to say? How about we start discussing the real issues, eh? Like, why are there children across the nation being lied to about who they're being sold sweets by? 
This is, you know what I'm realising? This is just a hop, skip and a jump away from someone just spray painting free candy on a van. And it seems legit and people trust it because it has Mr. Sim spray painted on it as well. You can just throw the name up there, except on the van, the, 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 the S on Sim is like backwards. <laughs> oh, God. I definitely, definitely would not be giving them a good review on good treats. Thinking about it now, that could also be the name of a a dog treat review site for for dogs. I am sitting on a gold mine here, honestly. Anyway, you don't hear about pears that much. The only time I ever really heard about them was at my nan's because she loved them. She loved pears. So I always used to buy her some pears if I was going round. Pears are a fruit that you have to test the ripeness of by how soft they are. So I always used to do that and buy them depending on how quickly I knew my nan would eat them. Um, that was nice. And they're underrated, man. They really are. Pears are good. I also learned that pears could be prickly. Not that I've ever seen one, but I've heard they exist. And I learned this from, from a very young age. From the Walt Disney classic, The Jungle Book. Yeah, you like that one? More specifically, the song, The Bare Necessities. Wait, is it The Bare Necessities, or just Bare Necessities? This is something very important that I have to Google. The, The Bare Necessities. Okay, good. Glad we got that cleared up. So, part of The Bare Necessities... How many times am I going to say bare necessities? Uh, explains that if you pick a pawpaw or a prickly pear and you pick a raw paw, well, next time beware. Don't pick a prickly pear with a paw. When you pick a pear, try to use the claw. But you don't need to use the claw when you pick a pair of the big pawpaw. Have I given you a clue? It felt wrong not to add that part in at the end, like it's not complete in my head. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure some of you did the same thing. Right, so if you're like me, you may have wondered what a pawpaw was. Many people thought it was a papaya, but this is in fact a falsehood. The pawpaw's actual name is Asamina triloba, and it's actually native to the eastern United States. Which is interesting, because the Jungle Book is set in central India, so this feels like a Disney thing, where they went, fuck geographical nativity, this shit rhymes, and it absolutely slaps, so it's going in. And it doesn't matter, because we all learned the important lesson to not pick prickly pears, or raw pawpaws, with our hands, and instead, to use our claws. Which all humans definitely have. Thank you, Disney. To be totally fair to them... I'm stretching. Hang on. Okay. Um, I think they're allowed one or two mistakes when they have provided an idea of calm and safety to so many children. Let me explain what I mean. I was thinking about this recently as I went over to my friend's house whose daughter is my goddaughter. And she's very much still a toddler. And when I went over, she was feeling ill, 
nothing crazy, but enough to really affect her mood as it normally does with everybody, but, you know, especially toddlers. When I went over, they were watching The Jungle Book. They actually just spent the whole day watching Disney films. And by the end of the day, her mood had drastically improved. And it reminded me of when I was younger, like a proper child, if I was ever a proper child, and I had a really bad ear infection for the first time. And to make me feel better, my mum put on Toy Story 2. And in my head, Toy Story 2 cured my ear infection because I felt so much better after watching it. But what I think really happened was that watching it with my mum whilst ill and in pain provided me with an idea of safety, which would have calmed me and lifted my mood, helping me feel less scared and less worried about this unfamiliar pain that I was feeling. And so I would now associate this film with feeling safe and calm. And I imagine for a lot of kids that grew up watching these films, that association also became true, not necessarily just when they were ill, but at any point. I remember watching an amazing documentary. I think it's called, let me see what it's called because it's amazing. Yeah, the film is called Life Animated and it's the story of a boy who grew up with severe autism and he was nonverbal growing up. And as he was growing up, there was just seemingly no way that he found to be able to communicate until he started using Disney films to communicate. He would communicate through the characters in the films, which is incredible. I really recommend you going to watch that biography, documentary, film, incredibly heartwarming story. I mean, yeah, that's like the extreme end of things. <laughs> I just had an ear infection, but I imagine a lot of people fall somewhere in the middle of that. Um, so I imagine this is a big reason why Disney holds such a special place within so many people's hearts as they grow up. Um, now, this can be applied to anything, really. It's just Disney has a very wide effect. For me, it was kind of Disney. I had some stuff with Disney, but for me, it was more video game based. Stuff like uh, The Legend of Zelda and Super Mario and Sonic is what I associate safety with more strongly. They were my escape, totally. And so now, for example, when I listen to the music of those games, it calms me down, like it really calms me down. Video game music and like deep breathing and meditation, Jesus. It, my nervous system's like, it's like I may as well be doing heroin for the... <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's just good. It's very, very healthy for me because it provides me with that sense of safety, which I didn't have too much growing up. So if you find your thing, you find your thing, man. And it's, um, it's really good if you can find healthy stuff and focus on the healthy stuff you know because this this comes back around to the attachment stuff i was talking about earlier our brains just know that these things are familiar or that or they perceive them as safe they don't actually know whether they are good or bad for us in the long run 
healthy or unhealthy. So, I mean, don't pathologize it too much. I am exhibit A for that. I went too far down that road. But maybe have a little look into why certain things make you feel the way they do. What is it that you might associate them with? And it might help you a bit along the way. I love that the word was pear. <laughs> Going from pear to, to attachment theory. Jesus Christ, have a day off, Kevin. Let's go on to the last word. Let's, let's do that. And the last word is carve. Um, and what I, what I normally try to do with the last word is spin it a little bit so I can leave you on like a bit of a positive message or a lesson or even just a thought um, to carry on with after we wrap up. And I've kind of just sort of done that. So I'm going to do it again. But this one won't be as deep, I don't think. Well, no, no. never say never. Screw it. Whatever. You're here now. Let's just keep on going. So I had this thought a while ago when I was driving down a road and set up at the side of the road on a big patch of grass was a couple of caravans with a load of big wood carvings placed outside them with a couple of people just carving. And the strange thing is, firstly, I've seen the same thing pop up in different places all around the country. I don't know if it's the same people, but it feels like a video game when you go to a different place or world or realm and there's like the, the traveling merchant of the game always just seems to be in that place too. Like you had to traverse these treacherous plains to reach this new land by the skin of your teeth and all of a sudden there's the merchant <laughs> just there like wherever you are like hey man I, you want some beans I restocked my beans on the way here I didn't have any before but now I have beans this planet's great for beans <laughs> and you're just like how did you get here my man that's what I want I want your method of transport Anyway, that's them, that creating beautiful wooden carvings of animals by the side of a road. So the thought I had was, carvings, they're artistic, right? Most of the time, there's some kind of expression. From anything, from stunningly detailed ice sculptures all the way down to the initials of two lovers in a tree. Carvings are when we use nature as a canvas to show what's in our minds and in our hearts. You're literally creating something out of nothing. Well, actually, that's not, that, that depends on how you look at it. Because who was it? Who was it that said that... Um, uh, someone said that when they carve something, it already exists within the ice or the wood or the stone. And they're just revealing it. Who said that? Michelangelo. Of course it was Michelangelo. What a lad. Yeah. Uh, Michelangelo said 
Michelangelo, the guy that carved David, um, he said, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. So none of the material, I said. Well, I guess marble is stone technically. But anyway, a lot of people say this about ideas that then later go on to become songs or books or, I don't know, plays or whatever. These things already exist and they are just looking for a vessel to bring them to life. But I also think the same can be true for us as humans and our potential. Finding and discovering the best and most authentic versions of ourselves that are already there. I personally don't think it's a matter of becoming that person. Everybody wants to be the best version of themselves, but I don't think it's something that you become. I think that person already exists in you. It exists in me, in all of us. It's there. They are there. And the more we chisel away at the proverbial stone surrounding us, or wood, or ice, whatever material you fancy, the more of that version is revealed and can be presented to the world in all its glory. We are all works of art, and that art will speak to a lot of people, but not everyone. And that is a wonderful thing. If it speaks to everyone, it's not very good art. But you, you are very good art. And with that, I am going to leave you for this week. It's been wonderful hanging out. I hope you are feeling a bit more chill than when we first started. I am. I feel good. And I hope you do too. Um, my stomach's rumbling a lot though. What do I need? Cheese. Definitely not cheese. I want cheese. I don't need cheese. Anyway, take care of yourself. Um, please do. Please take care of yourself. Please be good to yourself. And, and I will speak to you very soon. Okay. <laughs>